This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Are we, are we ripping? We're live. We're rolling. We're rolling. Welcome to Connected by Water. Thank you for having me. We're here today with my good pal, colleague, and amazing angler, George Martinez. What's up, brother? Good morning, brother. How Thanks are you? for coming on. Thanks for having me, man. So you came up from Miami? Drove up from Miami, had to take the kids to school and that's what it's all about. Yep. yep. And uh that's it, man. Made it up here and I'm here. Let's do this. Nice. Nice. So um we were talking before this about about uh, artists getting together and how a lot of people have like sometimes a problem right. with that. Right. Um, I personally don't, uh, cause you got to kind of just, and especially when you do it for a living and right. what's its baggage. You well, know I mean, I mean? The, the thing with the art, you know, like we, we give life to our paintings, but there's also a person behind that, which mm -hmm. is like the human factor behind what we do. And a lot of times your work could be judged based on your output, you know? So it's, you got to kind of, you know, play cool with everybody and, 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 you know, just, I think there, there needs to be that commodity amongst all of us that we do do the same thing. It's kind of competition, but it's not because we're appealing to eyeballs. Everybody's got two of yeah. them and you know, that's kind of, they'd get to pick who they like, whose work they favor and what, but I don't really think that there's a competition because we all bring something, the same subject, but completely different to the table. Yeah. You know, in the process to get there, we all take a different road on how we end up with what we end up with, you know? Yeah, I totally agree. I always thought one of the biggest oxymorons was art competition. Right. It's like, how can you it's judge so it? subjective. Right. I mean, it's not really like a, you can't totally, there's no way to point it. Right. You know, it's, it's like, there's no performance, right? You know, and I mean, obviously you can look at some art and be like, eh, it's eh, not, you know right. what I mean? But exactly. I mean, when, once you become a professional and you get to that level, you know, you're you're talking about subjective opinion for the most part, right? Every, it could be different across the board, and you know, yeah, so yeah, for sure. So, um, you grew up painting fish, 
I grew up just like me. I mean, like, well, you grew up a fisherman, right? Yeah, I grew up in. Um, my parents took me out of Miami when mm-hmm. I was going into fifth grade, and we moved to Punta Gorda, Florida, which was a tiny little town. There was basically yeah. nothing there but the outdoors, and I'm so thankful that they did that because, I mean, growing up in the city, if I would have grown up in Miami, I don't think I would have been as connected to mm-hmm. the outdoors as I am. Like growing up in Punta Gorda, it was just a different life, you know. Like I would get on my bike and ride through my neighborhood, which was a house every like three miles when I first moved in there. It was like super unpopulated. And I would ride my bike all over the place, catching bass and all these little ponds. And it was just, you know, with your BB gun and your bass rod, you were catching, you know, bass here and driving across the neighborhood to another lake. And then the obsession just got, you know, we got money, bought a John boat at a garage sale, started Mm -hmm. like exploring a little bit further. And it's always stayed with me. And that's kind of what fuels the art. You know, I just... I'm inspired by what I see out there, the experience, the pursuit, and it's it's become like a lifestyle. It's not just like a hobby for me. Like I, I kind of need that, you know. I need yeah. to get away. You know, the city's like hustle and bustle. I'm a father of two kids. You know, you're a father too. You know how involving that is, um, and it's just it's just something I need. It's like my battery charger. You know, um, I do know, and yeah. and it, it works hand in hand because like when I get out there and I have an inspiring moment, the next painting is gonna flow. It you makes know? a big difference, doesn't it? Makes a it? huge difference. Right? Yeah. I, every time you go out there, and you know, I try to explain this to people, like, you know, this year especially, I've been so locked in here. And in a way, it's good because, you know, you, you want to build the business up and everything like that, and it's good. And you get that out of your head, that part out of your head. But in the same respect, when I do get out on the water, I'm like, man. I needed this. Yeah. And, <laughs> then, and then you come back in the studio, and you're just like, completely refreshed, complete mindset. And you're looking at things completely differently. Right. And it's not even just about saying, Oh, I wanted to recreate that moment. It's like, right. you may have wanted to recreate that moment, but it, there's a deeper soulful experience to right. it than that. It's not just about X, Y, and Z or right, one right. plus one is two. Yes. That experience recreate that. It's not about that. It's more about what it does to inside of you. Right. Yeah. It's the feeling. And that's art is basically a feeling expressed through a visual you know, and yeah. at the end, it's a visual, but it all starts as a feeling and emotion and then becomes an idea. And then it translates into how you do it, how I do it, how all the other artists do it. And that's I feel like I I, I can't I can't work from photographs to right. me for me, like working from a photograph already puts too many fences up for me. Mm-hmm. And I'm super critical that if right off the very start, it's not looking like what I'm looking at. I already feel like I'm not doing it right. Yeah. So what I do is I jump in, I take a million underwater pictures. Like when I catch a fish, I hand off the rod and I jump in with the camera and get, you know, in direct sunlight and like muted light, like on overcast days. And it all plays a difference in the atmosphere underwater and how it reflects off Mm -hmm. the fish. And I'll basically look at a ton of pictures and then put, put whatever it is I'm looking at my, my laptop, my camera, whatever, I'll put it away and I'll paint based off of what I remember. And it gives me more Liberty to kind of do like Bob Ross, you know, a oh, happy little sponge over here right. and, and, and whatever, you know. And, and that's where I have fun because I get to recreate my own version of what I saw. And it's yeah. not exactly to the T and I'm missing a lot of details and, and I'm missing a lot of color, but it's just what I what I took away from it. Yeah, know? I don't think, I mean, missing all that stuff necessarily matters. No, for because, that I just... Yeah, because you can just bring your emotion into it. And, right. Exactly. You know, that's, that's really comes with, you know, you as an artist and your signature on your own piece. And, right. So that's, that's the fun that I have with what we do is like being able to like recreate make like a little portal, like a window into a moment in fishing that anybody that fishes could relate to, even though they weren't there at that moment with you, they've kind of seen their own version 
but you kind of translate that over in a, in like a broad spectrum where like you haven't been to Flamingo with me and caught a snook, but if I paint that snook in a Flamingo setting, you've had your own Flamingo experience with mm-hmm. a snook that you're like, oh, wow. And, yeah. that, and that connects you to the piece, you know? For sure. So. For sure. Absolutely. You know, you describe uh, growing up in, in Punta Gorda like that. And I grew up, um, you know, a lot of people think that I grew up directly in Pompano, which I actually grew up out west here. And when I was a kid, this was completely undeveloped. Right. So when you're talking about, you know, with the different natural settings, it kind of reminds me of growing up bass fishing out here. Right. Because, I mean, I grew up at first, you know, catching bass, gar, you know. Of course. Peacocks, like the whole thing. There actually wasn't as many peacocks. Right. Around then as there is now. Yeah, it was but, more of a large mouth. So when you caught one back then, it was like. It was a big deal. Big deal. Right. Yeah, but now they're like all over the place. Now but, it's a snakehead and all yeah, the, the snake invasive yeah. stuff. Yeah, so um, you talk about flamingo. And you fish down there a lot. Yeah, I did. Um, before I had my kids, um, obviously it's hard for me to pull a 14-hour day because Flamingo's fairly far from my house. But I, I spent a lot of time fishing at just about anywhere. Like, I mean, after Google Maps came out and all these high-end GPSs that allowed you to go to places that you probably wouldn't dare go in the past because you yeah. turn around and you think you haven't moved. But you get lost down there. Right, you can get super Easy. lost. Um yeah, I've been fortunate to poke around and, and spend a lot of time back there and, and see some really cool things that unless you put in the time, you, it's like a job almost like if you put in the work, you, you get rewarded. And, and and I feel like the Everglades is like that. I mean, there's a lot of stuff that you can see from the side of the road driving across the trail, you know, your alligators, your bird life. But then there's if you get further away from that human interaction, places that only get visited very, like very seldomly, you get to see like interactions in nature, like birds and fish working together you know like the redfish coming down a shoreline spooking the little minnows and the bird following it capitalizing all sharks right and the bull sharks and and, and you get to see the whole harmony of how the ecosystem works in in an intact setting you know without our you know us messing it up somehow you know as far as like human presence or development or whatever i mean there's parts of the everglades that are just amazing to be there whether you're catching a fish or not just to see it and the bird life, the gator life, like gators and sharks in the same place. And it's just mm-hmm. like the only place in the world is here, you know? It really is an incredible place. I try to explain to people, like, just how beautiful it is on the interior there. And it's, I mean, you could take pictures. I mean, Clyde right. obviously does right. an amazing, amazing job, job, you know, yeah. of, of taking pictures. And it really is like that, though. Right. You know, and, and I think that's the beauty of his work is because it's hard to take it with a camera phone or, or just even like an SLR and just say, yeah, this is what it feels like. But he seems to have been able to really, truly capture like exactly what that feels like. And, and his there. pictures, I mean, touching on his stuff, like his pictures capture because when you're back there, there's not a lot of movement. Mm-hmm. So it looks like a picture to begin with. It's just a still yeah. environment. You know, light changes, you get wind rip and stuff. But as far as like, it, it looks like he captures it the way it looks back there. And sometimes it's, 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 it's just magical to look at just yeah. in its own setting, whether it's sunrise or sunset, you get different colors and it, it, it's a magical place. Definitely. Yeah. And it needs our help, man. It's, it needs our help. And that's what I was going to kind of get to right now is, um, you and I talked before about, you know, we're both advocates of clean water. Right. I mean, for crying out loud, I named the show connected by water. Of course. You know what I mean? It's all about the water. I mean, Florida is all about the water. Right. I mean, if you had to like put your finger on one thing, even beyond the fish, cause without the water, there's no fish. No fish right? Right. So, um, there's been a lot 
obviously in the past couple of years, I mean, past three or four years before this, there was all, we had all our algae blooms and all the different right. crazy crap going on. Um, you're very in sync with what's happening. Both of us are involved with the CCA um, and, you know, they seem to be, you know, shedding a good light on things. Right. Uh, I think Governor DeSantis is stepping in and at least trying to do the right thing. Right. Um, give us some of uh, your insight on um, what's happening in your mind and what needs to be done. I think from a, from a natural standpoint, excluding politics and all that outside stuff, just mm-hmm. as far as like the... Net- yeah, I don't want to make this a political right. thing. That's, you know, what, that's why I, I that's, mean... People think that, you know, you can talk about clean water and go beyond politics. Yeah, because the politics of it is just going to make an idea, like awareness to an idea of where they want stuff to go. But as far as like what needs to happen from a natural standpoint... Um, everybody tends to blame certain people for causing the damage. And there's a lot of people to blame as far as the way the center of the state was set up for agriculture. Correct. Right. So that is not necessarily the problem, but that changed the natural intent of the way the place was designed. Mm -hmm. So water flows from North to South comes out of the Kissimmee chain, comes down Kissimmee river into Okeechobee, and then it's supposed to filter south naturally through the grass, which is what filters it. Um, but that basically flows through some of the agriculture land. So all that flow of water was directed through arteries like these canals. Mm-hmm. Um, some of the vegetation that's required to filter the grass can't grow in direct flow of current. So by these canals being like straight pipes, when they release water, it doesn't give the water a chance to get push through the vegetation that does the natural filtration, which in the end you end up with the clean water, which is the way the Everglades are designed. You know, it all flows like through a the natural gra- filter, right? It's a filter it flows through the grass and then it ends up in Florida Bay. Um, as all, as all for all these years that this water has been rerouted and been redirected across the state for business purposes, for safety purposes. Cause you can't flood certain zones. Cause now mm-hmm. there's people living in these zones. I was going to say sprawl is another reason like people like people, right like more houses more, more houses more right people so you can't it. just yeah. send a bunch of water and, and right. flood out half of an indian reservation or flood out like the people living on the outskirts of the stuff so i think right now there's we have cycles right we have weather patterns like right now we're on a hot cycle you know we have been for a while we have the, the water temps are warmer um there there's cycles that happen where i think with all this water that they want to send south, all this area has been dry or had minimal water. Mm-hmm. So what happens is all the decaying matter and all the stuff, all that sediment becomes like a scab, like a crack. Right. Right. It, it just gets like dried and compact. And I think in some of these places that haven't had water flow, if now we redirect a bunch of water through there, it's going to do a lot more harm before it starts to do good. Because yeah. like in any part of the Everglades, anybody that fishes back there a lot and spends a lot of time back there, if we have a whole bunch of rain in a short amount of time, the very next day, if you get back in some of those back bays, you're going to have fish kills. Mm-hmm. Because all that decaying leaf matter from the mangroves that's sitting up high above the water line, when you have all that rain flush that out in a giant, you know, a, a, as a big, in a big amount, it doesn't give the water a chance to dilute it, where it dilutes it enough for like bigger fish to not feel the effects, but you have die off of a bunch of little minnows and like your forage fish start to die. 
And it happens all the time, naturally. So the food for the apex predator. Right, exactly. So it happens along time Miami Trail. It happens in the back bays of Tukaluski. It happens in the back bays of Whitewater, where if you have a massive flow of water in a short amount of time, you have fish kills. And my fear with the whole thing of sending all that water south is that it's going to release all those toxins on a bigger level, and eventually it's going to affect Florida Bay. Um, Florida Bay used to be a complete freshwater environment up against the coastline. Like, if you look at pictures of Florida Bay— like the whole shoreline of Flamingo used to be sawgrass mm-hmm. because of the natural flow of water would push the saltwater intrusion further away. So you wouldn't start to get turtle grass until you get till you got to a certain distance away from that flow, from that direct vein of water. As to where now, or it's been happening for years now, with us redirecting that, I'm saying us, but as people, Army people, Corps of Engineer, right. you know, whatever, um, the saltwater intrusion has come a lot further. And I only know this, I wasn't alive, but I've gotten the opportunity to talk to some of these legendary guys that are, you know, key personalities in this, in this sport mm-hmm. that were doing this, you know, way before I was born, before, you know. And you know it's exactly it. It's, it's, it's a problem that's been happening it's a, for a long right, time. And it's a problem that's been happening. And, and the saltwater intrusion now, there's mangroves in a lot of places where there didn't used to be and that they require salinity to grow. At the same time, they become shoreline barriers, so they protect us from storm surges, hurricanes, and whatnot, so it's kind of a necessity. Um, I don't want to say that it should be left alone, but I think that it has to be done properly and and in steps to Mm -hmm. send that water south. We can't just say send the water south. Yeah, I don't think it's a one-year solution. Right, and it's... It's a long-term solution. And there's there's a lot of factors because, like, at the top of this whole water source... You have a, a business that basically has tons of property that's all manicured. It's all manicured grass with pesticides, with chemicals, and all that. All those properties have tons of little veins of water that eventually flow into the Kissimmee chain. Mm-hmm. And then it picks up the, the, um, you know, the agriculture and the cattle runoff. So by the time all that water gets to Okeechobee, it's already disgusting. Right. And then the lake is 30 miles by 30 miles, but it's got an average, you know, a, a deep depth in Okeechobee is like six feet. Most places are three, four. Well, in our summer, which is basically, you know, March through October. Through October, yeah. You know, the water temps skyrocket and all that stuff just sits there and festers because in a lake you don't really have current. It's all wind driven. Mm-hmm. You know, so if we have a light east wind for a lot of days, that water just kind of. And that's why when they fly over the lake, you get those blobs that are kind of out in the middle and they're just kind of, you see those blue green blobs and all that is eventually what flows out. Mm-hmm. And I'm not saying that's the direct cause of the red tide and, and all the algae problems, but. Well, some of it's natural. Some of it's natural, but the fact that we're giving it food to blow up to Correct. giant scales. Yeah, we're not helping it. We're not, we're not, yeah. we're helping it get worse instead right. of trying to stop it. And I really don't know the answer on how to stop it because it's been like a hundred year process, you know, with the water being reverted and whatnot. Um, It's a serious issue, but on a good note, after Irma, you know, Florida Bay got a big storm surge Mm -hmm. and I think hurricanes make fish. No, like, I don't know if that makes sense because there's a lot of sediment that basically, um, I don't know how to explain it. Like, so, if you got sediment and the, that plant life is supposed to get a certain amount of direct sunlight with this layer of sediment, it's only getting a percentage of it. So it's not growing and flourishing and getting as thick and as healthy as it should be. So it doesn't provide the housing for all the little stuff that lives in it. So it, it kind of rearranges the habitat. But now Flamingo is fishing like how it was fishing when I first experienced Flamingo, which was in 96, 97, 98, which is when I really first started fishing it. Like, 
if you're going to go to the Keys right now and book a guide, there's no better time to go fish the Everglades. And right, I mean, the snook fishing is amazing. Mm-hmm. You know, the trout, the, the tarpon, the baby tarpon fishing, now that we have high water in the glades, there's tons of baby tarpon around. And there's still areas that are in shambles. You know, there's still areas that the grass is dead or not looking very healthy. Um, but Mother Nature's resilient, man. Yeah, and it'll like, grow back. You know, yeah. you plug her over here and she's coming out over yeah. here, you know, so... I just think we're in a cycle that's moving towards a better. We just got to work on helping it get better as to feeding the problem and make it worse. Right. So you tell me that you don't have an opinion on the matter. No, <laughs> no. I, I, I mean, no, I mean, that's good stuff. I so, love fishing down there. I mean, that's one of my favorite places to go fish. I mean, I went um, one time I went with Adrian and, and Regina. Right. And two of the best people right. to go down there with. Yep. I mean, and we just had a blast and you just get lost. Yeah, it, it's cool. It just, it brings like an adventure. Like you could have that little kid like, oh, what's around the next corner? Mm-hmm. And you know, when the fishing's bad and the water quality's bad, like what's around the next corner? Another aquatic desert. You know, you can pull for 20 miles and see two fish. Whereas right now there's so many little sharks around. There's so many like smaller fish in the brood stock. Like you're catching a ton of little redfish, you know, 15 to 19 inches. Mm-hmm. There's tons of snook. The mullet are everywhere. You know, like there's so much life. Like I went... I've probably gone like four times in the last couple months. And every time we've gone, it's been like magical. You know, mm-hmm. it's been, I mean, triple tail floating all over the place. It, it's just like, I think like what it should be, you know? So you want to end the podcast and then just go fishing? Let's do it. I'm, I'm always <laughs> down to go fishing. <laughs> um, like, dude, you're getting me all jacked up. So, I mean, that's what, that's, that's like one of my things is to get people jacked up on fishing, but not just to go out and catch a fish because, all of this stuff and all these problems that we've known about in the natural setting has always been like the, the, the whistleblowers have always been the sportsmen, mm-hmm. you know, like when there's problems in, in like the deforestation areas and loss of habitat, like the deer hunters, the turkey hunters, you know, the elk hunters, they're the ones that bring these problems to light Right. as to where what's happening in Florida now, the charter business and the fishing industry has grown and spiked in such a giant, mm-hmm. you know, in, in such big numbers that now you have representatives that are for the environment all up and down the coast, you know, blowing this whistle like, hey, we got a problem. Hey, we need to change our bag limits. Hey, we got to stop, you know, the possession of this fish during these times because that's like their key spawning months. And it's it, it's making a difference, you know, because now it used to be something that only like us as fishermen or hunters would know like, oh, yeah, this place is getting messed up. But now it's becoming a broader problem because or it's, it's, it's getting awareness in a bigger, in a bigger scale because these guys are now talking to friends and neighbors. And then now average people that don't fish, but maybe live on the water and they paid all this money for their property. They walk outside and it looks like pea soup right under their dock mm-hmm. and they're not happy. So now it's getting to where stuff's happening. The ball's rolling. You have all these great organizations, you know, raising awareness, doing everything they can to help like captains for clean water, those mm-hmm. guys have taken on the battle head on. Sure. Have basically put their it's life aside. Right. Chris Whitman and Daniel, they they've done, they've gotten with all the key captains in all the areas, and they're getting realistic, positive feedbacks from people experiencing it versus like a scientist that's only there for a few days doing like minimal research. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? These are yep, guys that I are do. living this every day. They've seen the changes. They've been on the water for the last 10 years. 200 days a year. So they've seen the ups, the downs, the decline. Um, and it's definitely, definitely the people out there. I mean, you know, if uh, people want to ever knock fishing or hunting, like the whole PETA style thing, it's like, come on, 
Right. Like with, without the people that are out there that are truly practicing conservation right. and, and, you know, utilizing the land and the water the way it's supposed to be utilized and everything like there wouldn't be that and right. and anymore. It, Cause I think the people, like we talked about sprawl earlier, right. And the people that are moving in the new neighborhoods that are creeping in on the Everglades and things like that are more to blame you right. for being against conservation than, than any of it. If you're living there obliviously. Right. Right. And then I think it's, it's also, um, it's, it's, it's good because it's created a mindset that like back in the day, like fishing was like a way to put food on the table right? and then like develop this macho thing. Like I can go out and kill my limit every day. Like I'm that, that was like the objective. And yeah. now it's kind of with all the ongoings and all the awareness about the environment and places just, you know, going down. Um, it's part of like the mindset. Like if I'm going to be this like high, you know, if I want to fish at this level, it's the ability, you know, the pursuit, and then it all comes tied into this big mindset of conservation. You know, right. you got to catch and release these fish. Don't hold them out of the water for the pictures. You know, handle them. Don't put your fingers in their Yeah, like educate yourself right. about, like, like you don't which tarpon lip, you can take out of right. the water. Right, don't lip a giant yeah. fish and, and yeah. cock his lip out because you're going to break his jaw and, and, and you're going to do more damage than not. So I think we're moving in the right direction as far as, like, as, as the masses go. Like, everybody involved now wants to help versus having that, ah, whatever, there's a million fish out there. Well, I mean, social media, I mean, we have to bring up social media in this conversation because it's definitely been a huge influence in all the things that we're talking about. Right. Both the clean water thing, because that really brought the light up a problem because if it wasn't for social media, I don't think people would really understand the true scope of the problem. Exactly. So that's a good benefit to to the social media aspect of it. Um, Social media has also made fishing become a strong trend over the, for better, for worse. Right. Um, it, some might help us in the industry. And, of course. You know, but as far as the actual element right. of, of, the, of the reality of it, it may not be helping, right. you know, a, as much. So it, there's got to be this, there's this tough balance to, to right. it all. Um, I don't know how long it's going to be a trend for, but um, definitely seems to be like the cool thing to do now. Right. And, and then the awareness, it, it, it kind of helps with the balance because as an individual, you got to do your part. And like right. what I say by doing your part is like when you go to these places, like the only thing you should leave is like the bubble trail on your motor. Mm-hmm. No prints at all. No leader in the, in the mangroves. Like, you know, obviously nobody's out there littering. And, and that's, and, and I want to say, I mean, that, that, that's a good thing. Like you go to Biscayne Bay and it's full of garbage, mm-hmm. you know, because there's a small percentage of like conscious fishermen and there's a giant percentage of pleasure boaters the sandbar guys, and, the sandbar yeah. guys that just look at the ocean as like a wet playground, right? And they they don't care, and you know, and and that's a hard mindset to change because you can't tell a full grown man like, hey man, you can't run over that turtle grass because you're gonna get you know like a stupid response like, oh, who are you to you right. on the water? Um, so it's you know it's kind of a mindset, man. Like if you if you participate, you got to be aware of what you're doing, what like what basically what little world you're entering. And you got to figure out how to coexist without ruining it. If anything, you want to help it, you know? Yeah. And you know that the fishing, I think the fishing has grown to an area, like it's, it's already at a level where I think some of the playing fields just can't handle it. Mm-hmm. You know, I was talking, I had my high school friend over last week from Punta Gorda and he came over to fish and he's super involved with Captains for Clean Water. He has that whole preach movement against the mining, the phosphate mining and everything up mm-hmm. in, in DeSoto County and everything. And, um, he was telling me there's like 700 registered charter captains between Lee and Charlotte County. And you're talking about Charlotte what? Harbor. And, That's not a big area at all. Right. And you're talking about Charlotte Harbor and Pine Island Sound. I mean. Wow. 
I mean, that, that's a giant amount of human presence. And you just got to hope that they're all doing their part because, I mean, those kind of numbers and that interaction makes a difference. You yeah. Know? And you talk about with, with the conservation thing, um, you know, I find that most of the con- conversa- conversation <laughs> conservation that's done in our industry right. is effective. Right. Like a direct, you know, positive A plus B result. Right. right. right? Um, whereas not to be confused with environmentalism, right. which is not necessarily cause and effect result. It's more whining and complaining and right. give us more money. Right, exactly. This is more like, okay, listen, we have targeted the issue. We've targeted the problem. Right. We know how to effectively make it better. Right. And this is what we're going to do. Key organizations across the state are a big reason for that. Um, responsible charter captains are a big reason for that. Right. Um, and just, just responsible and experienced anglers and hunters or even bigger reason right. for that. Um, so I think it's important to support these educations or these educational movements, um, these educational resources and um, listen to the right people who are out there. Like, just like, I th- I'm just basically supporting your point. Well, I, think, I mean, like the, the captains, the captains have, a, they have a giant responsibility and all of them seem to, to fill those shoes because a lot of these captains, they get these guys that come to them because they want to go out fishing. Mm-hmm. And then once you take somebody out fishing and you have a great day on the boat and you have that great interaction where you're out there just being two dudes on a boat and there's good chemistry on the boat, now you've already broken that client-customer kind of relationship down. Now these people become friends. and. Yep. We talk about it all the time on the show, right? So now, now, yeah. now you got these anglers and guides like that that are, that have these friendships, and the anglers look at the guides as their main source of information based on that because mm-hmm. they're hiring them to take them out fishing. So when the guide talks, these guys listen, and a lot of these guides are, are talking conservation and you know the water quality. So every one of these people that steps on one of these guides' boats walks away as a representative towards the right direction. You know what like, I mean? Like fishing gurus. Right. Cause they're, they're going, they're talking to their guide, their guides telling them firsthand accounts. And then they're going back to their circle of fishing friends. And they're like, Oh yeah, man, you know, I was just with this guy down in the keys and he was telling me this, this, and this, and this, and this. And then all that stuff kind of sticks, you know, where every one of those people in that group walks away with a little piece of it and they spread that and it keeps spreading. So the idea goes from the boat at the epicenter of where it's happening back to these places because not a lot of these clients are locals. You know, they're flying in from out of areas to fish. So now they're going back and they're spreading the message and it it, it, it kind of spreads it in a good way, you know? So a lot of these guides are super... You're creating a culture. You're creating a culture. But what I'm saying is a lot of these captains are like running the show because these guys really start to look up to these guys as far as like... thousand percent. Everything that's going on. They know that these guys are in tune with the habitat, with the fishing, with everything. So what they say isn't fluff. They know that what these guys are telling them is from a firsthand account, you know? So I think that that's, that's super positive because as the the sport grows, you have more of that client customer interact. And I'm not saying everybody out there is being like a pro positive. You want, that's not possible. That's not possible. There's still a human nature element. Right. It's it's just realistic. There's a lot of people that get into it for the wrong reasons. They get into it because it's, you know, quick, easy money these days. You know, like you go on social media, you see some of these captains are all big, fancy boats, big, giant trucks. So who doesn't want that? You know? So, um, but I I think with the awareness and the social media platform, it's helping 
spread the message in a bigger way. You know what I mean? Yeah, I agree. I, I, it's definitely had more of a positive effect right. than, than a negative I effect. I mean, it, it, sure. it has negative effects too. Like it puts a lot of people in places where those fish don't deserve to be interacted with all the time. But you, that's getting exposed though. But now it's getting exposed. So now like, like for example, like our wintertime tarpon fishing used to be like only the hardcore guys that were involved right. knew that in between cold fronts, these fish would show up. And now it's become like, Everybody looks for that now. So when these fish show up, there's a wall of boats ready yeah. to hammer them. The you worm know? hatch and right. all that. Right, and they yeah. hammer them over yeah. and over and over. And same, th- like the worm hatch. The worm hatch yeah. used to be like, you know, the old timers kind of could predict it based on the moon phase, you know. And now it's like a televised event. There's people right. hanging off the bridges yeah. with cameras, drones flying around. Yeah. It, it's crazy, yeah. dude. News reporting so, it. Right, exactly. <laughs> We're here for the worm hatch. Right, CNN, you know. <laughs> exactly. So... It has its goods and its bads, man. Yeah. You know, you know, uh, creating the culture of positivity. Um, I guess you can liken it to anything else of creating a culture of positivity and you can create a culture of, um, you know, good news versus bad news slash fake news or whatever. Right. And, and you can create that culture to, you know, manifest itself into whatever it needs to be. Right. Um, you can create a negative culture right. for chaos and personal gain. Right. You know, and that's horrible. Um, you can create a positive culture, an educational culture, um, for the betterment of everything that like right. we're talking about. Right. And I really think that's it's the responsibility for every Floridian, not just the captains, but you know they're the leaders right. in the forefront of, the, of, the, of this. But that's why Captains for Clean Water is such a really great idea, right? Uh, because it really sheds a light, I think, on that theory. Um, but you know, it's it's really the responsibility of every Floridian because, I mean, not to say. We're all connected by water, but it's right. true because this state is that that's part of the reason of the name of the show because it's all right. connected by water. Exactly. So everyone we're all in it together. Because if you look at Florida, I, I talk about this all the time. Um, where you look at the United States of America and you look at Florida. And of all the places that were pioneered and frontiered and you know how men we went out west and everything like that, Florida was like the last to be discovered and developed. Right. It's because it was not really made for man. Right. It was harsh and penetrable. You right. Know? right. And it was, you know, you can't build on sand and like the whole thing in the ground, you can't dig. And, right. you know, it's not like Manhattan where it's the whole thing is made of granite. Right. You know, um, so if you look at Florida, we're the kind of last. Right. And that's why everything around here is like, oh, that was built in the 50s or that was built. And then that's old for us. Right. You go to another state, you know, you're like, oh, that was built in the 1800s. Right. Like, this state has never seen the 1800s. <laughs> right, you know, exactly. It was like Spanish forts. That's about it. Right. But um, so with that in mind, I think everyone's got a real responsibility and a good opportunity to be like, okay, right, time out for a second, because let's look at Florida for what it is. You can't just build on every damn place there is and you can't just landfill all this place like Dubai. Right. Because it's not going to work. No. Because we're, we're eventually all going to start, we're going to start drying out. Right. If this place dries out, that is not bueno. No, no. I mean, you could already see it as far as like, you're in Miami and it's 110 degrees at night. Yeah. And you drive past Chrome Avenue and you get out in the glades, there's less cement, more trees, and the temperature drops 5, 10 degrees. You know, yeah. like, it's insane. Like, there's times I leave my house and it's 69, 70 degrees. It's and like by a the, pizza stone. Right. And by the time I get to Chuckalusky, it's whatever, 61, yeah. 55, driving through Big Cypress. You know, it's like a giant, and, and it's because of all the cement, you know? Like, mm-hmm. we, I think they're definitely, it, it's impossible because of the amount of money, but, 
like in some places in the Keys, there's moratoriums on building. Like you can't build past certain places. You can't add. So aren't aren't they going to do that for like they're going to full on do that? I think for, to like starting in 2020 or 2021 where they're, they're not going to build at all now, right? I mean, I I don't. I, I heard there was I think that they big mall. That law. They were saying about this big mall out in the Everglades, and I don't I don't know. I haven't heard anything about it. That I, place is the devil. Yeah, that, that got I mean, put on I mean, pause well, for a little while. Thank I God. Hope it when I heard about yeah, the plans I, for that one, I'm like, oh God, please no. But I feel like they're going to build houses out there now. <sighs> I mean, damned if you do, damned if you don't. There, I mean, and, and like, if you look at the Everglades that butts up against the Tri County, you know, Palm Beach, Broward, and, and Dade County, man, it's still to some people, oh, it's just a bunch of woods. I can go throw my garbage out there. Yeah. Like you see these general contractors and you know, it's like somebody working on houses or something because you'll see a pallet out there with like tiles and pieces of drywall where people just put it on the back of their truck. You know, they tie the pallet to a tree, they drive off, boom, it sits there and it's there forever. You know, yeah. And it's sad, man. It's sad because you go anywhere outside of here and you go to national parks, man. And it's like almost like if somebody's combing the ground, mm-hmm. like no cigarette butts, no plastic cups, no bags of chips. I mean, yeah, you'll see it here and there, but not at the level not rampant like, right not rampant like you see it yeah. here you know um it's it's sad but it's 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 a mindset and it's hard to get people to understand that you know um i, I mean as artists we have a little bit of responsibility to this too right you know we're a lot of responsibility well, to we're, it, but in a sense we're already we're kind of historically illustrating the conservation at the moment mm-hmm. you know because how we are painting something now in the habitat in its current state, probably not going to be the same as a, a, a marine artist in 2025. Mm-hmm. Or if you look at our, at our, you know, the guys that started, you know, like Russ Smiley was painting in the 60s. Right. You know, like Stanley Meltzoff and stuff like that. So Lots I mean, of bait all over the right, place. Right, baits everywhere, you know, <laughs> super like, you know, yeah. Noah's Ark, like two of everything in a scene, yep. you know. And, and so I think it, that's, we, we have a responsibility, but we're also illustrating the beauty of this this is what draws us to it and mm-hmm. some people just don't have the access to it like that we're fortunate man we live in our subject yeah like you can go you paint a lot of offshore stuff you can hop in a boat out here and see sailfish mm-hmm. you know you can see them surfing in the wind you know on the north winds you can see the the bait balls you can see it all same thing with me with my inshore stuff you know i got biscayne bay the keys the everglades um some people don't get to see that so through our paintings you know it kind of draws them you know and it, it kind of we're, we're kind of highlighting the beauty of it through yeah. our work, you know, because in like the end you want to really make a, you want to make a pretty picture, you know? Yeah. You want to make a pretty picture. You also, I think you want to evoke, I think how it feels to you. Right. And, and not just, you know, what it looks like, you know, from a, like you said, you don't want to like put fences up with the photographs. Right. And, exactly. And I completely agree with that. And we all got our own style. We want to implement on it to, to kind of display that emotion. But right. I mean, you know, the responsibility, I think of, um, of not only try to kind of phrase what I'm thinking in my head. There's a movement I think that's happened over like the past decade, let's say maybe even longer, but um, to where there's a much more diverse offering of Marine and fish art than there has been in the past. I mean, everyone always looks to like Ross and Stanley and stuff like that. Awesome guys. Right. Um, Amazing artists. Right. Um, Then you got like your Don Ray and everything like that. who just was like, alien my idol <laughs> right. you know what he's I mean? an alien. He, 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 and i and i'd say this to don like to his face and it's like right. i love you right you know, and he's just a great guy super too great on guy. top of it um, um you know i've gotten the opportunity to talk art and, and he, he's just always positive yeah. like good feedback you know he's, he's yeah for guy. sure um 
but you know, it's kind of like, um, you know, it's exciting to see, I think the amount and the variety of different styles and different art. And it's like the celebration of that culture, right. Um, the celebration of our state celebration of our water. Um, you know, but you know, you and I've been doing it for a while now and it's kind of very like this, I get this warm and fuzzy feeling like hanging out with you and like talking about this because it's like, you know, I don't know why some artists have a problem like relating with other artists. Right. You know, but you, it, it's an issue right. you know, for some artists and, and I get it. Cause every artist is kind of like wants to be as good as you can. Right. You, know, you right. want to create the work and be on the level. Right. You're putting out a piece you of can. yourself. So there's obviously a piece of ego sure. that goes with it. It's normal. You know? So yeah, but, but you know, I don't think you should really have make that like an attack on another artist. Right. Exactly. I mean, what's you the know? point of that? Right. It's it just, yeah. Like I get calls, all, I get private messages all the time on Instagram. Mm -hmm. Hey, what markers do you use for this? Or hey, I don't hold back for what? For sure. I know that there's, a a f there's no chance that I'm going to give that person my resources and they're going to recreate what I'm doing. There's no chance. Right. They're going to do it better. They're going to do it different, but they're not going to do it the same. And that's how I'm always going to be, George. You're always going to be Dennis because there's people that are going to do it similar. They might do it better. They might do it less, you know, but they're not going to do it like how you do it. Yeah. So I don't really hold back on these, especially if it's a young person, because the fishing game, especially if it's a young person, right? And and the fishing game, when I was growing into it, you know, you still had a lot of these old school guys and they're kind of honorary and they've been around, they're salty. And it wasn't like a kid sport back in the day. Right. There was a lot of older people. Like I would go to these art functions and everybody was 65 and I was 18. You know? Yeah, I hated that. <laughs> so, you, yeah, when, when you go to like these art guilds and right. like the things like that, it's like a bunch of retired people and right, you're like, exactly. kind of along here. Right, exactly. Yeah. So I was always like fish out of water. And then I got the opportunity to work at a fly shop in Miami. And I was at mm -hmm. the foreground of like the scene in Miami. And I was the, the, the fly shop of Miami. The fly shop, yeah. yeah. Um, and, you know, I would have these kids that would come in and there's no reason to, you know, be standoffish because they're asking you a question that's super entry level. Mm -hmm. So I would always do the opposite. I would give them the best experience that they had coming into that shop. I would open the material, be like, look, you could use it like this. You could twist it around and do this with it. If you're not comfortable with that, this does it. It already comes rigged for that. And it, was, it wasn't like they were walking out with a product. They were walking out with the product and a bunch of direction yeah. that kind of simplified and, and, and knocked down that barrier between somebody that was doing it for a super long time and somebody that's new to the game. Mm -hmm. You know, and, and I always try to get people's attention because once you got their attention, you can tell them exactly what you want them to hear. You know what I mean? And that's when I would start with the conservation. Like, listen, man, if you find a bunch of fish, don't go there and try to catch every single one of them, mm -hmm. you know, go catch one or two, pay attention to all the signs because there's signs everywhere, you know, water depth, quality, you know, depth, temperature, um, whether there's a direct flow of current and go try to match that somewhere else. And now your one spot's going to become two and two become four where you don't have to go and beat those same fish up day in and day out because fish act the way they do now because we've trained them. Mm -hmm. it's, it's, that's why you throw out a redfish and flamingo and you got to be good to get one. And then you go to Louisiana and you throw it anywhere inside of their face and they're going to eat it. You know, it could hit them in the head. It could throw and and that's because the marsh is huge and there's not a lot of interaction. Mm -hmm. You want to talk about another resilient. There's no pressure. You want to talk about another yeah. resilient habitat. I mean, you got this freak of nature where you got the, the Mississippi River dumping all this nutrient, all this food into this marsh that the oil industry has completely 
industrialized it. Like you go everywhere over there, there's a barge, an oil head, a pipe, a well, a rig, and man, the fishing over there, the fish life, the shrimp. I mean, there's just so much stuff over there. And just now they're starting to get the whole conservation over there, mm-hmm. you know, because over there you can kill a hundred trout. I mean, you, you see these bay boats coming in and yeah. their slogan is home of the wheelbarrow. And it's got a guy with a wheelbarrow full of trout and redfish. Well, no matter how, you know, fertile that place is, eventually as that industry is growing the way it is where there maybe used to only be three guides out of this marina, now there's 20. And then there's a marina down the street with another 20 and another 20. You start doing that 200 days a year, you're extracting a lot of living things out of that little ecosystem, you know? Because, you know, like no matter how big a place is, like the Everglades are big, you know, Flamingo's big. But the biomass isn't spread equally over the whole thing. You know, these fish gravitate like you're in your house. You got your favorite chair that you watch football on. So if somebody I do. Come, right. So somebody comes <laughs> into your house in your downtime, they know where to find you. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, these fish are the same way. Like they don't always like they they have their places where they want to be, whether it's based on water temperature, food source, current. Some places are like staging areas where they hold before they move off to another feeding zone. And some places are feeding zones. That fish is there to do one thing, and that's eat. Mm-hmm. That's he's, he's ensuring his tomorrow by going through there and, and doing what he's programmed to do. And that's why I always tell these people that are getting into fishing, like, dude, if you find the gem, don't beat it. You know, you find an area that's holding a ton of fish, don't go in there and just punish it and then take your friend to punish it because all you're doing is you're going to take that little biomass and you're going to spread it out, and it's going to make it harder for you to go find it again. Right. And now that's happening at a giant space, so that's why, like, the, the game has changed and, and recreational fishing now, like a recreational fisherman from now versus a recreational fisherman from back then with less human interaction, it's night and day. You know what I mean? Like the, the amount of knowledge that you have to know these days to put a day together. Mind you, we got GPSs and bottom machines and fish finders and fish imaging and all that. But I, it, you know, it's kind of like if you got a whole bin full of hurricane food and, right. you're, and you're prepping, right? And then uh, you're all boarded up and you're bored and you're just like, well, I'm going to start eating all this hurricane food. And then the hurricane comes and you're out of power and you have no water. And you're like, damn, I wish I had my hurricane food. <laughs> exactly. It's, like, it's well, the that's, same theory. And that's what some, that's what happens to some of these spots, you know? So that's the mindset that I always try to tell these young guys getting into the sport. Like, look, man, you're not going to be the guy that walks into a room and people drop to their feet mm-hmm. by posting a thousand pictures on social right. media. That's not going to get you anywhere, bro. You know what I mean? Everybody's got a fancy camera these days. Everybody goes out and catches fish. Like you just got to go do your thing and like lead your movement with an idea and like, and, and spreading that idea to keep it, you know, try to keep it intact as much as possible by not leaving a print. And that's basically it. Like you can't leave a thumbprint, you know? I think um, there's a lot of similarities to what we do professionally as being uh, fish painters, Um, just marine artists or whatever you want to call it. Still haven't figured out a name for it. Um, (laughs) And fishing. Right. I mean, there's a lot of parallels to, you know, how you approach a painting, how you approach a fish, right. um, how you conduct yourself as a professional, how you conduct yourself as an angler, um, the responsibility of social media as an artist, what you're putting out there, what you're saying to people, right. um, how you're representing yourself in your studio, right. and what you're putting out there and how you're representing yourself and, you know, your local, you know, fishery. Right. Um, you know, it, there's a lot of parallels that I see the art of fishing right. you know, the actual execution of it, the right. actual ex- execution of a painting. Right. So many parallels to it. I mean, do you find yourself, um, when you're out on the water, um, you know, just really thinking about anything like that or, or just like 
correlating your work with actual fishing? Well, I mean, I mainly sight fish. So in mm-hmm. sight fishing, you're looking. You right. don't make a cast until you spot the fish and you set up the boat. So whether I'm polling or I'm on the front of the boat fishing or if, if I'm pushing, I'm always just paying attention to the habitats, you know, because in there's the same kind of grass in two feet of water as there is in six feet of water. Mm-hmm. But when we're fishing on these flats, like as you get close to a channel edge and you have direct sheet flow of water, you have certain vegetation, you know, and then as you back away from it, you got other vegetation. So you learn that these fish have like a comfort zone. Like every time they come on these flats, they kind of come in the same way and they kind of leave the same way and they kind of hang in the same area. So Mm -hmm. I try to see what's there so that when I paint that later on down the line, if somebody says, Oh, I, I just went to the keys and caught a permit on, you know, out by the contents. Well, I fished out there so much that I know out by the contents, you know, you got all that white sand up high and then on the edges, it's kind of like that rocky hard bottom Mm -hmm. and you got certain Gorgonians and certain sponges and stuff. And, I'm always looking. That's all I'm doing. I had a professor in college tell me. A lot of snook out there. (laughs) I had a professor tell me one time, like, I was only going to get to a certain level of painting ability, but I was always going to progress as a looker and a seer. Mm -hmm. That as I would look at stuff, as my eye aged and worked in, you know, in sequence with my hand, like, you know, translating the idea that I was always going to, your vision as to your subject, what you're looking at was always going to advance as at first you see it as a snook. Now you start breaking it down into shapes where you got, you know, the eyeballs, this round thing, the gill plates, this triangle, and you got another one. And that's what's going to help you put it all together is like lining up those shapes like a puzzle. So when I'm out the light and everything. So when I'm out there, yeah, I'm always looking and it's always about the work. Mm -hmm. Like it's, it's gotten so far away from the fish. Like, like my, like my buddy that I've, I've been fishing with for, I've been fishing with Bobby for, it's going on 11 years now. And he knows, man, if I catch a fish, you know, once I get that fish in the leader, I'm like, here you go, bloosh, and I'm in the water yeah. with my camera, and I'm taking pictures, and 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 it's all in the end. It's all about the work because, I mean, I've been fishing my whole life, man. I love it. I still love to fish no matter what it is. If it's the simplest form where I'm going to go with a little worm with my kids to the Everglades mm-hmm. and catch a bass or if I'm doing, like, the high technical, you know, tarp and bonefish permit stuff. Um, but I also love to, like, work on these paintings and then walk away and be able – to somewhat recreate what I saw when I jumped in the water mm-hmm. without having it there to look at it, you know, based just off an interpretation of what I saw. It, it, it's just like, that's like, that's my challenge. Like that's my, my mission in these paintings, you know? And like I said, in the end, it's basically like a window or portal to any other, any person that fishes, they can relate when they see that, you know, like, Oh, I've been there. I've seen that. I've caught a permit. I've done, you know, I've seen a permit on a ray or I've seen the bonefish mudding with a big cloud of mud and they come out and they got like sand all over their back. You know, I've seen that. And that's, those are the details that people that know my work and follow my work know that I fish, mm-hmm. you know, because I put in all these little details that as a fisherman, these are the details that, that catch you the fish. You know what I mean? And yeah. Um, so, I, yeah, I always try. I, I always tie it in together. And like I always say, man, I'm not always down to paint, but I'm always down to fish. Yeah. You know what I mean? That's the truth. I, I do know. Because <laughs> of the, it's I do a, know what you mean. when you're painting, it's a mood thing. And, Dude, it's but, work. But, People are like, oh, you're following your passion. You're doing what you love. And it's like, yeah, man, but it's work. It's work. Yeah. You know, it's, once you have to do it, it's I work. I mean, it, it's like, it's really cool that uh, we get to do this for a living. Right. Right. There's, I would not choose any different life. I mean, if I, you put a winning lottery ticket in front of me right now, I'd still paint fish. Right, of course. That's the freaking truth, right? Because I love it. You right. love it, right? right? We both do the same thing. Um, but 
It's work, you know. Right. So don't don't think like, oh yeah, you're doing me any favors by giving me a job, right? Because that's a job. It's work, you know. Because I mean? right. if if I'm not painting, I'd rather be fishing. Like I told my wife, like I was like, okay, you know how hard it is for you to go to your nine to five and then come home and be a mom. Mm-hmm. Okay, so when I'm painting during the day, so I got to set up in the morning. Once I take the kids to school, I start painting. Mm-hmm. By two o'clock, I know I got to wrap up, and only us as artists could really relate to this thing. Like, if you're going in a painting, I, at least for me, when I'm working on a painting, once I get going, once I'm on my horse and I'm galloping, you, you don't want to stop. You got that rhythm in your head. It's like impossible. And that's how you're there for two, three, four hours without taking a sip of water, without using the bathroom, without even looking away. It's like your palette, your painting, your palette, your brush, your painting. Um, at 2:30, I gotta stop, bro. Yeah, it's tough. Because I got a three-year-old and a seven-year-old, and there's no they're not self-sufficient for a second, you know, it's Bobby, mm-hmm. Bobby, 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 you know, constant. Um, and then at night I got to find in my head to get on that same wavelength to continue that piece at the level that I was doing it. And sometimes that's impossible. Yeah. It's impossible. It's really hard. It's, it's super hard. You know, where that was really hard for me was during the 365 project. Right. Because I'm still running the studio. Right. That was not really right. a gig. That was just like a challenge. Right. And a lot of times I did those just before the stroke of midnight and it posted up and right. done. Go to you know, sleep. Some right. of them were horrible. I just did it just to do it, you know, right. because it was like, oh, done, you know? Yeah, but that's a major output. Major you know? output. And now um, th- with the U.S. Mint stuff, I mean, that's in addition to the studio because right. I can't do that here because we have a partnership now here at the studio and it's like that's all in addition to, so right. I got to do all that at home. Right. And so now I'm like bringing stuff at home with the, with the mint stuff. And that's another thing. It's like when you get home, first of all, what you're saying about having to stop, it's like, I got to be at home too. I mean, I get to work a little bit longer here, right. but it's still, there's certain times or certain things you got to do. Or like if you're on a roll and something, right. And you're just like, you know, like 20 minutes is coming up, 15 minutes. And you just start counting the minutes. The minutes you know, exactly. And you're just like, finally, you're just like, Bloop. acceptance <laughs> comes in and you just like throw it in there and then you just like, you just like walk away like that, like, ah, and you got to go. Yeah, you got to go, you know, because you really do get in the zone. I mean, you, you get locked in. And, and then the only thing that's tough that, to walk away from that. The only thing that helps me is I got to put that piece that I'm working on, and I got to put it in a place in my house that no matter what I'm doing, I can look at it. Yeah. So if I'm. Oh, I'll stare at these things for like two hours. Right. After. If, yeah. Just, if I'm watching cartoons with the kids or yep. I'm helping them with his Legos or helping my daughter with homework, I'm, and I'm looking and I'm looking. Yep. Because that's going to help me, like, my attack oh, you, plan. That's when you start taking notes. Right. And that's all right. For so tomorrow. That, right. This area needs. So tomorrow when I start, I got to concentrate on this and work towards the middle or, or whatever, yeah. whatever the, the game or plan like, is. Man, that one part was really giving me a like, <laughs> tough time. Right. You know, you're just like, oh. and then you just stare at it for a while and then you could figure it out sometimes right. in your head. And then the next morning you just hit it and you're like, all right, we're good. Yeah, you know? And so, so in a way walking away from it. It's a tough balance. It, it, it's dude. a good thing. You know, it, it's so, a good, but it, it, it's a tough thing sometimes, you know? Yeah. It's hard to leave sometimes. And being a dad. That's the hardest thing. I mean, yeah. I mean, it's... it's it's it, Being a dad isn't hard. Being a good dad is hard. I always I always say that being a parent is the the uh, most challenging, most rewarding thing. It is. They've ever, they've ever done. I wouldn't take my kids... I mean, my kids are the most amazing thing that could ever happen to me, man. Like, I, I always make this post, like... My bank account tells me different, but I'm rich, man. Mm. I got two beautiful, flipping loaded, healthy kids. Like my daughter is amazing. She has like a lot of traits. Uh, like my mom's like a caregiver. My mom wants to make sure that everybody in the room is okay before herself. And my little daughter at seven years old is the same way. And sometimes she's like hurt because people don't accept her help. 
Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And yep. um, we live in Miami, man. It's cutthroat. It's hustle and bustle. It's, you know, when there's that many people living in a, in a, in a small place, the whole me first thing sticks out. Yeah. You know, so. Especially on the highway. Exactly. So, like, I, I have this discussion with my wife. Is like, y- you want to raise your kids to be courteous, to be respectful, to have morals, to have principles, because that should be the first thing that pops into their head when a situa- an outside situation is presented. But at the same time, a lot of those things that you're doing within the household, that they practice in the household with relatives, with their close circle, you send them out into society and it sets them up for failure in a lot of places. And it's hard to tell them that, no, you're not wrong for doing that. Right. You, that person handled that wrong and made you feel bad, but it's not your fault. Right. You know what I mean? Like you were doing exactly what we told you to do and how to be. And it just wasn't received in that way because that person wasn't taught that. But you can't take that as your personal blame. You just got to put your chin up and keep going because like I, my daughter's sensitive, man. So I work with her a lot. Like Mm -hmm. I I have these discussions with her, um, you know, like just about that, you know, like you can never second guess yourself because of the way somebody responded to you being proper. You know what I mean? Yeah, don't ditch your principles just because the other one doesn't have any. And no matter how tough it gets, you know, within, you know, the city or whatever setting you're in, like you can't lose sight of that because that's what makes you who you are. You Mm -hmm. know what I mean? I do, yeah. um, That's the hard part because now she's getting at an age where she's aware of a lot more things, you know, and. We have kids about the same age. How old's your daughter now? My daughter's seven. Yeah, my daughter's eight and my son is six. Right. How old's Miles? Miles is three. Yeah, three now. Yeah. Yeah. That's a, that's a funny <laughs> boy. Boy, I tell you, when people say terrible twos, they got nothing on, on those they horrible got threes. On threes bro. Oh, three is the worst. That boy's a, God, he's a Tasmanian devil, man. Yeah. Just no, no slow gears. That's he's when in, they start realizing they got arms and legs and they can, yeah. Yep. But I got him in baseball where he can funnel that energy. You know, he goes yeah, out on the cool. field and you think he'd come home tired, but he comes back from the games even more charged All up. jacked up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so. but yeah I mean, it's, you you want to give your kids a foundation. I mean, you know, for sure, but this is a tough time to be raising kids. I mean, with the the, the world, I mean, I mean, she's asking you for your phone all the time now, wanting to play games and doing things or. Man, you know, I'm, I'm trying to be old school. Like I want them in the yard. I want them playing. Yep. Um, cause man, I, I like, for example, they had this thing at school. It was called the trikathon where they bring their own bike. Mm-hmm. And man, it, it, it's kind of sad that you're watching this generation. That's it, like the kids upbringing is being stained by technology where riding a bike, like who didn't ride a bike growing up? Yeah. Like, I don't think I had skin on my knees from the age of like four to like 12. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like I was always on my bike, jumping over stuff, riding it in That's the it. ditch. Street lights came on. Um, you had to come home. Exactly. Yeah. And man, I go to this trikeathon with my kids and the kids don't even know how to ride bikes with training wheels. Why? Because I know people have nine to fives. I know the cost of living is through the roof. People have to apply themselves to make money. And that takes up a lot that stresses you out. It's hard to leave that behind and not bring it home. It's impossible sometimes because it's just a necessity. But it's a lot easier to hand the kid a, a tablet or an iPad and send them on the couch yeah. than it is to say, all right, man, you know what? Let's go outside yep. and go ride a bike and, and be in 100 degrees. Especially when work. you're tired at the end when of the day. When you're tired at the end of the day. But, you know, with the balance, me and my wife always 
kind of make time for that. Like we, we always do that because yeah, she's a kid, man. She wants to look at Disney online and Mm -hmm. she wants to, you know, she's all about the descendants, which is a new Disney cartoon and, Mal, does she yeah, love Mal? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The queen of me. You know? That's, uh, oh, that's it, dude. That's who she's going to be for Halloween. Oh, my God. <laughs> you know? Yes, yes. My daughter, so, too. She just said, my, they went to Target this weekend. Said, dad, dad, they have Mal there. I'm like, Mal, I'm like, did you buy it? They're like, no. I'm like, well, you should right. get it before they all get taken up. Right, right. You know, <laughs> the so, descendants. Yeah. Oh, my God. Don't get me started. So I got, and she'll grab my phone. and She'll be like, she'll just grab my phone without even me seeing it. And she'll just put Spotify or the Bluetooth in the truck. And all of a sudden, it's like, good song, to be bad. Comes yeah, it's on good to be bad. and man and i working from home i don't miss a beat i've never missed a a dance recital a little league yeah that's good a daddy daughter breakfast nothing and and i feel like i gotta do a like i don't know man my job is parenting in the city that i live in unfortunate Mm -hmm. i have to do like double the duty man because i see it all the time i see it all the time with the interaction and other kids and and behavior patterns and it's all from the abandonment of that parental figure being in their life because it's easier to give them an electronic device and have them tied up for four hours i mean you go to restaurants and you got a family of five and the mom and dad are barely talking they're on their phone and every kid is face down at the table yeah we got no phones at the table for us that's a rule you know and it's like and 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 it's just simple things man like the other day at the game at the baseball game every kid was complaining about being hot and the grass is wet. And it's Suck like, it up, buttercup. It's like, come on, dude. Really? It's baseball, bro. Like, get out there, right. man. Sweat it yep. up. You know? Yep. So you saw you saw in the corner of the studio, so my wife had her own corner in her paintings right. and stuff like that, but you don't see her here. Right. Because we made that decision a, a long time ago, or at least when, you know, with the raising the kids that we're going to have a stay-at-home parent. Right. Uh, because, <laughs> and in a way, that, a lot of ways, that's biting the bullet. Right. Like I said, we're going to make that sacrifice because she could go out and she can get a job she, or she could be here in this studio right. full time and bringing in another income or something like that. We could put them in daycare and who knows what's happening there. Right. But we don't, we didn't want to live that life. And, and I think that's really cool too. Cause in the ways you, a lot of ways you're biting the bullet too, by ending your day at two thirty, and it's that sacrifice too. And somewhere something's got to give. And right. I think, um, going back to that mindset as almost as a nation right I, it should happen right. there should be a movement for that like more people staying home i mean we don't trust the school system and what they're doing and how things have developed especially here in florida right. i mean come on right. so we're homeschooling right and my wife is hellbent on this this is really her idea her notion and i was like well i was in full support of it and the more she educated me on it the more i started becoming a believer right and now i'm seeing improvement in my kids, um, you know, it, it, from an educational standpoint, right. from a happiness standpoint, right. um, in a way to me, all right, all right, first of all, it's all built around this testing, right. which is like, come on. Right. And then it's just like glorified babysitting because how much is your kid actually getting paid attention to during the course of the day? Not more than my wife is paying attention to them from an educational standpoint. Because, exactly. you know, and she's teaching a curriculum she hasn't, she's registered with the state and everything like that. And there's homeschool groups that she's involved with. Right. But we just, for us, found that to be a more um, valuable lifestyle, you know, for the betterment right. of our children, for the betterment of our family unit. Right. You know, and I, I, I don't know. I, th- I think more families need to start rethinking I just their think process. that in, in the early developmental stages, if you can control the outside influences more, 
then you can prep them better based on what your standards are, basically. Yeah. It's, I mean. And you can call it shelter, but it's not really. It's more guidance. I and mean, it's more right. you know, guidance and development because I think the key word is development. And and this is kind of a weird thing, but I'm a people person. I, like, analyze people and behavior and stuff. I just, um, so my daughter goes to school in what I call transition zone. So, like, her school is, from her school east, it's all super wealthy people mm-hmm. from her school West. It's just regular hardworking families where both parents work. Everybody's, you know, just getting by. And this is down in Kendall. Uh, well, she goes to school East by, by university of Miami. Cause okay. that's where my, my okay. wife works. Oh, at. Right, 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 we right. used to live closer to UM and now we yeah. move further West. But since she's still at the university, she gets to take her to school. Okay. Um, and she's becoming aware of the difference between earning something and paying for something. Mm-hmm. You know, um, she just got moved into the gifted program where she did it through the system because of her grades. They tested her, but there's a lot of people that pay for an outside source to test their kid. And you know, the more you pay, the better the grade is. And right. They end up in gifted. So, I'm kind of telling her about like materialistic things because kids are kids are kids, bro. They got no filter, you know. Oh, I had a birthday party, but I didn't invite you. I forgot. Mm-hmm. That's kind of crappy, you know what I mean? Right. But she's becoming aware of those things, and 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 I'm constantly. I grew up with nothing. I mean, not with nothing. I mean, my parents worked, and but I didn't grow up wealthy. Like, Humble upbringing, right? Like yeah, you and I grew up the same. Right. Yeah, I didn't grow up with um, money by any stretch of the means. So I think we do a great job as as far as sacrificing, like, like I always tell people like, yeah, like me and my wife kind of live like minimal and our kids live like they're rich. You know? <laughs> like they've been to Disney 14 times. Dude, they got all don't get like, me started. you know, they got all the latest and greatest. <laughs> they, they don't miss a beat beach vacations and stuff, yeah. but I lived bro. You know what I mean? I got for to do sure. a lot of things and, and I want obviously better for them. And you know, my wife had a super humble upbringing, you know, she grew up in a huge family. Um, you know, a lot of brothers, you know, she had four or five brothers. And um, I think that balance always keeps your feet on the ground, you know, as far as like your personal experience. Mm-hmm. And she comes home with topics and stuff that are, you know, just kind of petty, but it's all like based on, oh, why does she have this? Or why is she going to Europe? Or why? And it's, I'm like, that. You gotta yeah, understand, hey, but you know what? She's not catching permit with her daddy on, on the flats, <laughs> <Exactly. laughs> right? Um, that is priceless. Come on, yeah, and and it's it's a lesson, man. Because if uh, parenting, like you, you can never say I did it. Like you right. can never say I did it. Like it's always because your kids mo- like model you. So when you see something in your kids that kind of you don't really like, or or, or kind of like, oh, where. They probably got it from you. Right. So you got to work on yourself so that they don't see that in you. And that's how they're going to change their way. You can't yeah. tell them to do it. And you still act that way because they're seeing it every day. Mm-hmm. You know, so I pay attention a lot to that, man. To, like at this point in my life, everything else is everything else. And then there's my kids. You right. know what I mean? I was I do. fortunate that I was given two healthy kids, um, you know, and, and I got to make the best of it. No it's matter what. Family's everything. That's you got to count your blessings in this lifetime. I mean, you know, God gives you gifts and you got to really what you do with them. And, I mean, and the sacrifice I'm bilingual, man. I know I can go out and get a job and make X amount of dollars, but I'm going to be gone from six in the morning. Dude, eight. I quit that lifestyle. I had a corporate job for 17 years as a right. credit director for a billion dollar company. Right. And I was like, I can't do this anymore. Right. Man. Yeah. Because then you're a two-hour dad or yeah. an hour and a half dad. Right. You get home and you're with your kids for dinner and bam, yeah. they're I, off Like you said, like I'm five minutes from my house. You know right. what I mean? I don't miss anything. Right. 
if I need to be there for something, or the kid gets a cut or something, and Liz needs my help, or and I'm I, there. And, and I rather sacrifice it financially and know for a fact that later on in life, when they ask, "Oh, who is your dad?" They're gonna have all these things to say versus, "Oh, I don't know. I only saw him for two yeah. hours a day." That's life. But we had this giant house, you know. Yep. But so what? I only saw my dad two hours. And I'm not knocking it. There's people that choose that. There's people that have no choice but to do that. But I just think I was given the opportunity to exploit my talent. And I make X amount of dollars every year. It fluctuates just like, you know, some years Mm -hmm. we have good years. Some years we're on a roll. Some years based on mental ongoings in our life. You know, we put up our own fences and it affects our output. And that's one aspect of being a professional artist that people do not see. Right. And we don't want them to see it most of the time because you you want to maintain your consistency and everything like that. But this is not an easy life because it's, it's a feeling based thing. It's like a mood thing. And people think we're all back. Oh yeah. Yeah. Oh, this is beautiful. And I'm going to go catch fish and I'm going to paint all day. And everyone's going to give me a shit ton of money for being beautiful. And it's (laughs) nothing like that, brother. Yeah. That, that is nothing can be further from the truth. It's a struggle. It's a, it is an uphill battle every day. Yep. And even and, when and you're you there, you got to work hard. You I've never there. worked so hard in my life. You know what I mean? Just what, to run in the own business and you know, being your own artist and just trying to make your way like by the, by the skin of your own teeth. Right. I mean, that's not an easy lifestyle. It, it's not, man. And like, you know, like I have my buddy who has like a dream setup, you know, like my, my friend Derek DeYoung, he's, he's a professional artist mm-hmm. and his wife basically handles like the business aspect. And man, I mean, that's a giant workload off of your back as an right. artist because I'm everything. Mm-hmm. I'm the shipping department. I'm QC. I'm everything. You know, I'm. Yeah. And. Well, know, that's why we brought a partner into this because I, I needed to stop being all that. Right. You know what I mean? And then, you know, by the grace of God, we were, we were, that was able to happen for us. But. Right. You know, it's, it's a good point. We're able to now do things before that. Just, you know, it's. But that doesn't come without its give. Right. You know, so. And I mean. I don't, I, I wouldn't take back what I do, man. I, I love the fact that I create something and, you know, I, selling art, you sell to successful people, mm-hmm. you know, everyday people that are, you know, struggling for money, aren't going to tie up three, four, five, six thousand $6,000 in something that's just going to hang on the wall. It's just not right. realistic, you know? So you deal with powerful people, wealthy people, you know, corporate company owners, you know, people that have, have more money than you could ever imagine. Mm-hmm. Yet I could buckle them with a 16 by 20 that I put it in their hand and I could see that guy just like, oh, yeah, you know, or whatever. The, or, it's a great feeling. And, that, and that's, we need money to live, obviously. But that, for example, like the best example is I have some clients that are super conservative, kind of prudy, very monotone, no expression. And then... I send them a text. Oh, look, this is a progress pic. This is where I'm at. And you get this response that's like, oh, you know, Mm -hmm. like, that's awesome. That's right. You know, and you bring this human out of them because you were talking to a robot the whole time because that's how they got to live their life. They're in charge of a lot of stuff and they're systematic people. You know, they do the same thing every day because they got a lot of people depending on them based on how powerful they are. Right. And then it it just kind of carries. That is probably the best part of the job. Right. Is bringing bringing that to someone's day. Right. You know, and, and you're the reason for that. Right. That is probably the best part of the job. It is. And, and, and I, I, I thrive on that. Like, I, I love that. I love when that person mm-hmm. like puts down that wall and they're like, Oh man, that's awesome. You know, and they, they go nuts, you know, and, and you get like a, like an emotional exchange out of them versus like 
Oh, mm-hmm. that's great. The uh, connection. Right. You know, and I mean, that's what, that's what this is all about. Right. You know, I mean, it's just that connection and that just celebration of, if you can't stop and celebrate your lifestyle or, or the, your little world that you built with the people you built it with. Right. Then what's it worth? Nothing. Yeah. Jack shit. Right. You mean? Right. Hey, that's, that's what connected by water is. That's part of the reason why I wanted to start it. Cause when it first started out, I was talking to people all day long. Right. Right. And then I was like, well, why don't I just bring them into the studio and put it up on the internet and just like, just this is cause this, I have these conversations with the people all the time and it's great. And I love it. And I love talking to people. Right. Very gregarious person. Um, but the community and the celebration of it, I mean, that's living right. to me. You know, like you want to like talk about your family, your friends, your life, and just get it all out there and just, you know, you know, put it up and connect with other people. And I mean, that's the one of the greatest things I love about living in South Florida and being around so many fishermen and so many anglers and so right. many just people that love like the salt water and the beach and just the whole lifestyle. I mean, we're all got that like-minded right. thing about us and it's just, it's a beautiful thing if you look at it the right way. Right. It's perspective, because so man. many people could be like, about, you know, or just like jealous of other people's success or, you know, whether they want to criticize or just like making fun of people or just like be clicky about it. Right. It's like, you know what? That's freaking baggage. Get rid of it. Right. Get lost. Celebrate man, your community. I was, you know, I'm, I was guilty of all of that, man. I mean. I was young, you know, when I started this, I was young. I got a lot of attention at a young age for it, and I was cocky, you know, I was arrogant. And man, my kids basically changed. Like, it, it was like somebody took that my does brain change everything. and just flopped it to where now, like you say, I look back at that, and it's just like, ugh, yeah. you know? That was just not necessary, you mm-hmm. know? Not necessary at all. And, um, and the, like, the whole thing of, like, I was touching on, like, when the client sees the painting, that's kind of what I get out of talking to other artists that I talked about some of these struggles with my wife, my friends, and they're like, eh, get over it, bro. You're fishing a couple of days a week. You're paying, eh. mm-hmm. you know, but yeah. Yeah. Then you talk to another artist and they're like, Oh, I know exactly what you mean. Like walking away from a piece, like starting something and having to walk away or like the, the, the trials and tribulation of life as an artist, you know, the ups and downs. And like, we all have the same ups and downs. It's just at different levels. Some of us have higher ups some of us have lower downs, but we're all kind of, you know, swinging yeah. on that same on that same spectrum, and and that's why I enjoy talking to other artists, whether it's like a super established old timer or, you know, somebody that just figured out something that was kind of like the niche and blew up real big. Even though it was a big puff of smoke and then it dissipated, you know, but they still had that experience of being successful yeah. for a, for a, an amount of time. You can't take that away from anybody, no matter for what. Sure. Attention's attention, no matter what. Um, so I, I, I just, that's why I like talking with these artists once that whole competitive you hard know, edge is over. I mentioned know? this before on one of the other shows. I can't remember which one it was, but I think a lot of mis- a mistake that a lot of people make, a lot of creatives make, and I can just lump like whatever, artists, actors, comedians, musicians, whatever you want, right? Anyone that has a creative spirit about it and right. just like, because, <clears throat> you know, I always end this show the same way and you'll see how I end it. Or at least I started to end it talking about ego, right? Um, I think it's those artists and creatives and or whatever musicians, whatever that shun their circle and they go be like, I don't need that circle. You know, I don't need a, those people that may have gotten me here. Right. Or be that friend community, that friend circle that I've built or that colleague circle or associate circle that I've built. If you try to branch off from that, I think that's a big mistake that people make in their careers. Right. I think it's actually a, a detrimental mistake that you can't come back from. Right. 
because number one, I mean, people see that people see more than you think they they do. Um, and also you're putting a bad energy about yourself and there's strength in numbers and there's more love in a community, you know, and what did we say? I think it was on one of the, one of the previous podcasts recently. I heard like a couple of weeks ago, um, traveling by myself, I might get there faster, but traveling together, we'll get there longer. Right. We'll be able to get walk further, further. Get, further. Yeah, yeah, get there, get further. Yeah. Right. You know what I mean? And I really, really believe that. Um, you know, and that was another reason why I wanted to have you on the show too, is just kind of like get that whole attitude like out in the open. Right. Cause I think more artists need to see that. Right. Um, that, yeah, we can get along. It's cool. You know what I mean? And there's nothing that we got a ton to talk about. Yeah, It is not going to, not going to affect your bottom line. One iota, if anything, it might help it. Right. You know what I mean? So I I don't know. That's just the way I kind of see it. I mean, art right now, fish art is at such a big platform, but it doesn't really get like, not like, I don't know, like attention. Like there's never a show for us. There's like very little. We should do a show. Right. There's very little like platforms for us to all display our work together. Like I remember when I first started, I did this thing at the IGFA. It was called Tournament of the Arts. And they invited artists from all mm-hmm. over the place. There was like at the at the IGFA building, they, were, they set up booths in that main room. Every artist got a 10 by 10. You could bring a giant original and a bunch of print, whatever, however you wanted. Man, and Don Ray was there, Carrie Chen, you know, Tim Borsky, you know, everybody that was at that moment was doing, working, you know, full on, you know, mm-hmm. fish artists. Man, and it was cool to just walk around and talk to these people and, and see their work and and see how they got there because it doesn't tell you how you're going to get there, but it just tells you that there's avenues, there's different ways, there's different paths you can take to get to where to achieve your goal. Right. And I think that was a very good show, and they never did it again. And, I mean, there was a bunch of people. There was the Bonefish Tarpon Trust one. That symposium. That, that you and I were there. Um, I actually don't even think that I met you that night. But right. there are so many artists that like Ed was there. Right. Um, I was hanging out with Adrian, but Adrian wasn't set up or anything like that. But and I, um, I, I can't. I didn't go. I was guilty for not going around to. Every, I wanted to go around and meet like right. every artist there, but then you know people come by your booth right, and you're right. there, and then before you know it, everyone's breaking down and leaving and right. stuff like that. So, like um, Adrian's I, another one that I always kick in the ass. Like, dude, why don't you paint more? You know. Yeah, I talk to him about that all the time, but I think the thing is, is like as you know, I mean, painting takes. A lot of time, time right. you know, and uh, he's got his job. Um, he likes to fish a lot. Right. Um, but the photography is really, I think, the path that he chose to go down right. more. Um, he's incredible at it. Right. Um, he's probably one of the best photographers I've ever seen in my entire life. Yeah. Um, if if not the best, as far as Marine goes. Yeah. His- uh, and, and he'll probably like roll his eyes and shake his head when I say that because <laughs> he's like the most humble human being you could ever meet in your entire life. Um, but he's like, he's amazing. Yeah, he's, um, but I think that's really where he wants to put his focus. I mean, that, right. that really, I've talked to him about it and it's his passion. He's like, yeah, whenever I bring right. a painting, you know <laughs> what I mean? I just, I mean, he likes it and he's really good at it, but I just don't think he doesn't love it. Like, like he loves, he loves his photography, right. you know? So, I mean, you got to really, you know, and he, he occupies his time with so many other things too. So the painting yeah. just takes time. Yeah. So I'll do a painting every now and then. You That's know. what he tells me, yeah. Yeah, yeah but, <laughs> yeah. So, and it's similar to the way we run our studio here, too. It's like, I'm not back, sitting back and painting every day. And we, and you talk about the different paths right. of the, what you can do in this business. I right. mean, there's not just one thing right. that you can do. You don't have to sit back and just paint and everything. Like, like we're, our focus is a huge focus is apparel. Right. 
you know, in apparel design and, 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 you know, the production and stuff like that. I mean, that's really where we put most of our energy. Um, I'll sit back and I'll do a few paintings a year or whatever like that. I'd like to paint more. Right. Yeah, you know, I'd love to sit back and do a whole series next year. I think maybe I can. You know what I mean? I got to work that out. I got to, like, right. carve out that time because right. I got a bottom line here now. And it's just a different Right, there's path, different avenues. You know what yeah. I mean? It's just that's that's what we chose to do. Um, works for my lifestyle. It works for what we're trying to accomplish. And I don't think any one artist can necessarily say, okay, this is the formula. Right. This is what you need to do. Right. And if you don't do this successfully and then not a lot, if your phone's not ringing nonstop, then it's not going to work. That's a bunch of bullshit. Right, no, of course. You know, you, you know everyone's got their own thing. We're all individual artists. Yep. You know, even though we're, we're all, if, if we're all painting fish, we're all painting fish. We're all drawing fish. We're all drawing fish. That's cool. But we all have our own opportunities. And that's when I said there's enough to go around. I mean, the fishing industry is a huge industry. Florida is a beautiful, big place, yep. you know, and, you know, we all, we all just want to flourish together. That's why I think it's baggage that people can't just sit back. Maybe we should have cracked the beer for this one <laughs> yeah, you know, right. and just hang out. But, you know, I'd love to go fishing with you. We got to do it, man. Yeah. We got to do it. And get lost down there. Nah. No, I, I want to get lost. I want to get lost. I want my phone to not work anymore. Yeah, I'll tell you a you story. Um, I have a good friend, uh, Brian Helms. He's now like one of the big, you know, captains in mm-hmm. Alamorada. He's, he's done really good for himself. Um, when he first started off, me and him used to fun fish a lot. And it was when Hurricane Charlie had taken the turn up the West Coast. Mm, I remember that. So we had this great idea. Let's go to Flamingo. So we go to Flamingo and... We go out into whitewater, and we see three trailers at the ramp. So on the way out, we pass two boats. Halfway out, we pass the third boat. So now we're the furthest boat out. So we get out all the way across to the west coast. We turn the corner, and we're, we got the spot that we're going to. And we're just dead set on going here. Well, on the way there, we, we're running a shoreline, and we look. And uh, we look in towards the shoreline. You can't, you can't run the shoreline. You guys aren't as far as Marco, are you? No, no, no. We're, like, over by, like, Shark, Shark River. Shark River, yeah, okay. So we're running on the outside, and we look in, and there's, like, this little, like, 300-yard stretch of shoreline that every single bird in the Everglades is fighting for space mm-hmm. near the water's edge. They're, like, crawling on top of each other. The birds are gawking. So I looked at Brian. I was like, you think we should circle back and fish that? And he's like, yeah, there's got to be something going on. So we circle back, but instead of starting at the beginning, we started, like, halfway down the shoreline. Mm-hmm. So we pulled through there, and, like, every fallen log had, like, a snook or a redfish on it. We were just jacking fish. And... We pull past the last of it where we're out of the, like that whole little thing going on with these minnows. We're all pushed up there and he starts cranking on the motor and it's not starting. And uh, he looks at me, he goes, Hey man, I think we're, you know what? And I was like, I looked at Brian cause Brian was, Brian's like non-expressive. Like he could tell you that he won the lottery or that his dog died with the same face. Yeah. You know? And he's like, yeah, I think we're done. And I was like, all right. What do we do now? He's like, I have no idea. You have a sat phone on you? Nothing. So, um, that's a long way away. So we pulled over to this beach. We take the cowling off, and we're just trying to do everything. And hours are going by. Mind you, there's no park rangers because that hurricane's going up the west coast, so there's right. nobody around. Um, needless to say, man, we stayed at Graveyard Creek, which is on the north end of like Ponce de Leon Bay. Um, we pulled over there. There's a porta potty and a picnic table, and that's been the most miserable night of my life. You got eaten up by mosquitoes. Dude, we got eaten alive. It poured for like four hours, and me and him are standing like shoulder to shoulder in the porta potty with the door open. It was like 120 degrees, but 
Needless to say, man, we survived. That sucks. Yeah, we survived through the night, and then the next morning, I woke up. I couldn't sleep. Sleep in the water. Well, I slept in the boat, and the boat got swept in with the tide up under the mangrove. So the bugs went from holy shit to a hundred times worse. And when I woke up, I was like under this canopy, just getting chewed alive. Whatever. Um, we started pulling our way back, and finally in the morning, we see a boat coming out of shark. And we wave at the guy, and the guy didn't stop. So I took the flare gun, and I shot two flares out in front of him. Right. And the guy came towards us, and he's like, are you Brian and George? And he's like. Really? Yeah, we're like, yeah. He's like, oh, there's a whole flotilla of boats looking for you. But I can't tow you in because I'm on a charter. And I was like, look, man, please. I'm a charter. I'll pay for your charter. I was like, listen, bro, please. I don't want you to stop your charter, but at least go back into Whitewater and let them know where we're at. So instead of them, like, spreading out and looking for us, they can just come right to us. Man, and when we saw those, like, five, six boats coming out of Shark River, like, it was like the Armada coming looking for wow. us. Wow. It was, like, the best feeling in the world, man. I bet. It was, it was, but that was a miserable night. Dude, that night must have sucked. Yeah, because camping and being prepped for it is one thing, but, like, an unexpected overnight stay in the Everglades while it's still warm out, it's not. There's nothing fun, dude. Like, if they did an episode of Naked and Afraid in Flamingo, it'd be... Naked and Naked Afraid and bitten and eaten. It'd be dead and naked, you know what <laughs> So... Oh, my God. Um, what do you got coming up? Man, I got, um, I'm just working on, I got a, a, a body of prints that I want to come out with. I just, I'm about to go public with my website that I basically took down because I was tired of looking at you the too, old huh? Yeah, yeah, so I took, in the middle of that too. I took it down and I, I revamped everything. So I got, you know, I want to do like a body of work for some print work mm-hmm. and I got some apparel. It's, it's kind of not really like a clothing line. I kind of want to do it as wearable art based on the fishing season. You mm-hmm. know, like I'm going to have a couple tarpon designs and then. You know, now we're kind of transitioning into, like, the Louisiana redfish craze. Like, from now till, like, February, March, like, everything you're going to see on social media. It's all pictures of people with Mm -hmm. giant redfish on their lap. So just, you know, just kind of at the same time while I put all this stuff out for the masses, you know, like, for my audience, inside I I still want – I'm still working out to a certain look as far as my my work goes, you know. Mm -hmm. And and I have a hard time with that because there's times that I'm crunched for time, so I work in acrylic – and then there's times where I want to paint in oil, but, you know, with the oil, you need the time to dry and all yeah, it's that. time and ventilation. Um, I don't do oil here. I don't have any ventilation in here. Right. So I, I just do only acrylic in this studio. Right. So yeah. I just got that. I mean, I just did the trophies for the Fall Fly Bonefish Tournament. I've been doing it for, it's going on like 10 or 12 mm-hmm. years now. And then in Sugarloaf after Hurricane Irma, um, my buddy Doug Kilpatrick of the Lower Keys Guide Service, he started the Sugarloaf Showdown, which was a tournament to kind of help the guides out down there because it's a time of year that there's really not much going on, but he did this tournament to get them like some extra days booked and stuff. And it kind of became a big event mm-hmm. and I've done the trophies for them since. And I did their logo and their t-shirt design and whatnot. And I got some commissions lined up, you know, getting ready for the holidays and stuff like that. So nice. We got to have an art show. We, we should do a show, man. Let's I mean, go like me, you, Derek, Pete, Adrian, uh, a whole ton. I've told, I've talked to Derek and Paul about it because Are Derek, Amber involved. Derek has, the people from iCast, he mm-hmm. knows those people very well, like the people that put on the IFTD. Mm-hmm. So we were talking about at IFTD, the same way they have a room to showcase like the new products for 2020 or whatever the years. Yeah. I don't think it'd be a bad idea, even like the conference room. Like, cause if you go to iCast, I'm sure you've been like, you know, uh, I go to iCast every year. Right. So yeah. every, every booth, you know, there's like the, the display of the, of mm-hmm. the product. And then there's a room where the deals are made and all that. Yep. I, I've, I thought about it a way that we could break in to display our work is have like a big conference room where they have like little tables for people to do their business and then just have our work on display where people could walk through it and look. 
And it was something that me and Derek and Paul were kind of working towards and, you know, life takes over and everybody just kind of got busy with their own mm -hmm. stuff. And I haven't heard anything about it, but as far as like on a local level, man, in Florida, there's so much good art here right now. Um, we got so many key players in the game living down here only because we live. Let's in talk about this more. Yeah. I mean, we, yeah. Let's talk. Let's get the, let's get that guy. I'd like to do something. I think a pretty cool venue where we could all get together and display our work and make it kind of like, like, I wouldn't say like a party, but you know, our work, yeah, a party. a party, our works on display, have some beer, some, yeah. like, you know, cutter food, whatever. Um, Strength in numbers, man. Yeah. I think it'll be a, I think it'd be a good deal, bro. Right on. Right on. So yes, what's your at? My at, at. At J Martinez yeah. art, George so Martinez art. What's your so my IG is uh J Martinez underscore art, you know, and then my website is jmartinezart.com. And uh I'm probably gonna go public with that here in the next couple weeks because I'm just doing loading up all the mock-ups and yeah. I try to I that's mean, a pain in the ass too. I should have I should have had that's some, what I'm, I'm doing the same thing right now. I should have had somebody segment. do yeah. it and I looked and I'm like, listen, man, with what I'm doing, I'm contributing all the image. There's no thought behind it. It's an image. You gotta just place it based yeah. on composition on the page. So I started to do it myself, man, and I'm not a techie guy at all, bro. Yeah. You know? It's tough. So but that's where I'm at, man. I'm just progressing little by little, you know, and being a dad, man. Being a dad and the family, man. We just bought our first home. Last year in December. Um, Congratulations. So we got a house now with a yard. The kids got room to play. And it's just, you know, around the house projects on the weekends, you know, Little League with Miles. And, you know, right. my daughter's going to start her dance now. And That's the thing I always tell people. People are always asking me to go fishing all the time. I'm like, I'll go during the week. Yeah, Whenever exactly. You want. At the weekends, it's all about the kids. Right. Because that's, yeah. the, I mean, the way, like, my wife works. So on the weekends, it's the only time the kids have both parents. Right. So I hate going to Target. I hate going to Walmart. <laughs> <laughs> I hate doing all that. But I tag along just because yep. we're a family unit and, yeah, you know, you. I'm in the shopping cart with the kids. And there's there's just more to life now than just being out there fishing gypsy, bro. I, I honestly, I've had my, my no shirt, barefoot days, you know, sleeping on a couch somewhere random just to go fish a fishery. Yeah. And I still got my trip to Louisiana, which I usually go between October and December. Mm -hmm. I, I go out there. I have a good friend of mine from Florida, uh, Nick Sasek, and he... He trailers his boat over there. We run a big camp on stilts on the marsh. And mm -hmm. it's just, I call it dude fest, man. I bring like, sometimes his guide partner is open on the same day. So he allows me to bring up to four people. So I'll get all my buddies. We jump on a plane. We fly over there. Let me know if a spot opens yeah, up on that one, man. Man, it's four days off the grid. And if we catch Seriously. fish, we catch fish. If we don't, we don't, whatever. But it's just a great time down there, man. Right on. So the, um, you know, I know Derek Young comes down here a lot too. Yeah, he uh, comes. So, he comes so to the next, keys. Next time he comes, man, I'd like to have him on the show. You want to come back on the show? Absolutely, man. I'd love to have you back on the yeah. show and, and bring Derek on with you next time, and we'll all just shoot the shit. That that'll be awesome, man. I think yeah. we need more of that, man, because if people see that, because there's, I, I mean, there's clients that feel like if they buy from you, it'd be a disservice to you to. I got buy clients that buy from, from me and other artists. I mean, you know, yeah, I got so, no problem with that. They, as long as they keep buying with me, right, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> <Does it matter>? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so. Yeah, I think it's cool, man. I think we definitely need to pr try to push to do some kind of group show or, or, or yeah. something something along those lines. For sure. Are, you, you're friends with Peter, right? Are I'm you? good friends with Peter. Right, yeah. so I know he's up this way. Yep. Um, I think we got a, I think we got a good showing if we did something. Yeah, we, there, there'd yeah. be a lot to look at for we sure. We could put up a solid product, no doubt about it. Yep. George, I want to thank you for coming on today, brother. Man, thank you for having me. And yep. before I go, man, I just want to, you know, the fly fishing community lost a great dude this week. Uh, my buddy Cordell lost his battle with cancer. Um us as artists, man, we would appreciate this guy. He was like the most original dude in the world, man. Like there's, 
there's a lot of people that fish, man, but this guy's ability to tell stories and his flies and his color spectrum, like he would tie these hot pink flies that I would even tell him to his face. Like, dude, I wouldn't even have that in my box. Yeah. And he would go out there and, and make it work, man. And and he was diagnosed with cancer last year and, and, and he fought a good fight, man. And we just lost him on Saturday. And, and it was just a big member of our local, you know, Miami community. He basically turned on so many people that couldn't afford a boat into fishing out of a canoe in Biscayne Bay and catching permit and bonefish on fly out of a canoe. So now you have a whole generation of these kids that maybe can't afford the $60,000, $70,000 skiff, but they have a canoe, and, and thanks to Cordell, they're out there, you know, participating. They're out there fishing. They're out there getting away from the mainland, just doing it. And, uh, man, rest in peace, bro. He, j- he yeah. just passed away this, this Saturday. Give so it up that to was, Cordell. Yeah. Right, that's a, that's a, that was nice of you to say that. Yeah. So that's, that's good it, stuff. my brother. I appreciate you having me, man. I'm open to come back whenever. Right on. And wish you the best with everything, bro. Likewise. Likewise. And as we always say, it's how we end it now, right? Like my buddy Mike G says, your ego is not your amigo. <laughs> right? That's it, bro. Right? Do your best. Let God do the rest. And always remember to eat, drink, and be local. George Martinez, Connected by Water. You out. Thank you, brother. Thanks for having me. Brave anglers search for the one they call king, but who will take his throne? Tune in to Waypoint TV's Battle for Silver, Saturday, May 18th from 12 to 6 p.m. Eastern. Presented by Abyss Battery, Waypoint TV.